Donald, I gotta say, you have more swag right now just in the little box on my screen than any of us ever have on this show. You got the Beats by Dre headphones, you got the matching t-shirt in the same color. It's it's what I do. I, I, I woke up this morning uh, feeling excellent, and uh, and I usually portray that in the clothes that I wear. <laughs> and I'm not going to top that, so hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I am your host, Adam Taylor, joined as always by Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. And this week, making his Filibuster debut, though not his podcast debut, is Donald Wine II. We are all from blackandredunited.com, where you can find us writing about DC United and whatever other soccer things catch our mind. Uh, We've got a good show for you tonight. We are going to talk about the crazy, sad, but crazy loss in Costa Rica, where Donald was in the flesh. Uh, We are going to talk about the second leg of that CONCACAF Champions League quarterfinal series, and we are going to look forward to what, if any, MLS might be waiting for DC United this Saturday. But before we do any of that, I have to ask, Donald, you're here, so I'm going to ask you first, what are you drinking? So I'm a really big fan of the uh, TV series Dallas and the uh, the reincarnate that came that just ended, I guess, last uh, last year. Um, J.R. Ewing was always drinking from his private stock of whiskey. I did not know until Christmas Eve that it actually is a whiskey. So I am drinking J.R. Ewing's Private Reserve. R.I.P. <laughs> to the man. All right, Ben, you have to follow that. What are you drinking? Nothing nearly so fancy. I am. I was digging through the bottom of my refrigerator, uh, seeing what we had left over in the mad sprint to get this podcast going on time. And I found some beer left over from when we uh, visited Cincinnati last. So I'm drinking uh, Mad Tree Brewing Company's Gnarly Brown Brown Ale. Um, and if you're in Cincinnati, you should go give uh, Mad Tree a look. They're a really nice brewery. It, it, sometimes it seems like I can't be drinking something that is not a rival to whatever it is you're drinking. You have Ohio this week, which means, of course, I am drinking a Michigan beer. I've of got course. Bell's. I've got Bell's Smitten Golden Rye Ale, oh, which boy. is several things that I really enjoy all in one. Uh, golden Rye Ale, and Bell's makes good beer, so I'm pretty happy with that. Uh, it's good. It's it, it's not the best beer I've ever had, but it's quite good. It's up there. Jason, what do you got tonight? Well, since you guys are all over the place, I'm going to keep it local. Um, I have uh, DC Brows, The Citizen. It's uh, their Belgian uh, triple-style pale ale. Um, it's, uh, it's excellent. It's, uh, if you, if you're not sure which one it is, it's the one with the yellow, uh, to go with their traditional silver can. Um, it's, uh, it's just a really good all-around beer. It's got a very, uh, like a very strong banana bread, uh, mm-hmm. smell when you pour it, um, which is, uh, I mean, it, it's not uncommon with, um, that style of beer, but this one's a particularly strong smell, but it doesn't taste like banana bread for those of you that maybe don't. Maybe you've been put off by the idea of banana bread beer. Um, this is not that. Um, it just has it has the smell, but in a good way. I think the Citizen, when they first launched, is one of their original three yeah. beers, along with the Public yeah. and the Corruption. And I think that one was the best reviewed by beer critics. Was the Citizen so so excellent choice? Excellent choices all around on your drinks today, guys. We I need to pep you up. I need to to get your confidence going because we are going to not be feeling good. Um, as we get into this first segment, LD Alajolense 5, DC United 2. Yeah, 5. DC United gave up 5 goals in one game. Um, for the second week in a row, I have to start out a segment by saying, Jason, what the hell happened? Uh, I, I just don't think we were ready for the speed of the play. Um, and it's... It's not. It, it didn't catch me as a surprise. Um, I think uh, Donald. I know you watched the Saprisa game that Ella Valencia played as well, and um, they play really high tempo soccer. They're very up and down, and I just we weren't prepared for that. Um, Dallas was a good opponent for us to have as the, our last two preseason games. Um, they like to play like that a lot. Not as much nowadays with Moro Diaz uh, no longer injured, but still, you know, they like to to play at a high tempo. Um, but we just we weren't ready, and the killer is that Al Valente was in a, a pretty bad spot mentally. I think I think if we got through those first thirty minutes, 
you know, I think I said this last week, if we get through the first 30 minutes, we'll be fine. I think the game is winnable at that point. And instead, we've given up three goals after 27 minutes, which is the opposite of that. <laughs> um, and so, naturally, instead of collapsing mentally, they built, they built on that, and they just kept uh, building their momentum. Um, it was a, There was a lot wrong. Um, Alavalente bypassed the midfield. We didn't do anything to really stop that. Um, our central defense was unusually poor, um, typified by, I think, I think the, the exclamation point on that is that second goal where, uh, Boswell and Birnbaum are about 30 yards apart from each other and also a couple yards ahead of the rest of the back line. So they're not trapping anybody. They're just leaving a giant gap, uh, to run through and, and, you know, obviously run through it, they did. Right. Um, so at that end of things, it was just, uh, you know, it was kind of, upsetting to see because if there's one thing this team was last year um, almost to a fault was prepared to slow games down and make it sort of a grind and this was the opposite um, we did not control the tempo of the game at all and that's that's the thing we had to do with with them having played 10 games already we had to get control of the tempo immediately and instead um, you know, they, they put us under siege for a little while and it was like you know Dykstra had a, um, a save before actually had two saves before that and mm-hmm. um, and that was the kind of thing where it's like, all right, if we can just get through a few more minutes of this, I think this will start to turn. Um, and then we have... Let, let's okay. talk about Dykstra a little bit, because he is definitely the headline uh, in a lot of people's minds. Last year, like you said, DC United was good at slowing games down and, and basically funneling play into the area in front of the center backs where Burnbaum and Boswell, before Burnbaum Park, would be able to to shut things down, basically, and United faced a lot of shots, but they were generally uh, pretty low-percentage shots, and when you have Bill Hamid between the sticks, uh, those low-percentage shots become impossibly low-percentage shots. So Donald Dykstra obviously didn't live up to Hamid's uh, standard by by any measure. He didn't live up to his own standard. No, I mean, it was a, it was just a bad night in the office, and it, it just, I, I know, he after the game, he came over and was basically all but all outright apologizing to the traveling support. He His head was down. He he knew uh, that he had a bad night. And, I mean, even at halftime, as they were, as the team was walking off, I believe it was 3-1 at the time, um, he basically ran straight to Zach Thornton, the goalkeeper coach, and Zach was trying to coach him up, which is not a good sign when you're trying to do that at halftime uh, of, a, of a big game like that. So it, it just seemed like he, he wasn't, you know, just wasn't ready, and 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 I know Bill. I'm sorry, uh, Ben. After the game, uh, Benny Olson was uh, very supportive. He, ended, I mean, he he came out and said, "Look, the the kid had a bad night, but he's still a great goalkeeper." We kind of rushed him back, uh, and you could tell that he he was out of sorts with his back line and and where with his positioning as well. And ben, Jason talked about the central defense being out of sorts, but the central midfield wasn't exactly. Uh, they were invisible in this game. Perry Kitchen and Davey Arnell, you could forget they were even out there. Did they did they make the trip? Were they on the plane? Donald, can I didn't, you confirm I didn't they see were them. there? I didn't see them. Uh, I, I I don't know what happened to them at all. They they were supposed to be there. They just weren't. Yeah, I mean it was it was kind of stunning how bad uh, or not even just, uh, not explicitly bad, but just how absent both of them were, uh, especially Kitchen um, with the backline performing that badly. I thought that he might have uh, taken up a more shielding position in front of the back line rather than them, uh, Arno and Kitchen, doing their normal yo-yo thing where one goes forward and one stays back. But uh, they were unable to do anything in this game. Um, the ball just got past them down the wings. It got They got spread out and it got past them through the middle. Um, I can't imagine that continues to happen, at least with Kitchen. We all know how good Kitchen is. And... He's gonna be, he's gonna be good again this year. With Arnaud, I hope it's not the beginning of his decline. Uh, with him getting up there in age, but uh, mostly I just want to see Marcus Halsty get healthy and be able to take one of those spots. Yeah, of course it comes out today that Halsty is going to be out for at least a a couple or a few weeks with an MCL sprain. I think it is some kind of tweak in his knee. Uh, so he's he's got a little ways ahead of him. Who knows whether he'll miss any games beyond this uh, 
this return leg on Wednesday because who knows if there will be any games after this return leg on Wednesday, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. This performance, Jason, you said right at the top that United were not ready for this speed of play. Is there an argument that it is... I mean, there's obviously an argument that there's a competitive disadvantage for MLS clubs coming in and playing competitive games against teams in mid-season form before MLS ever kicks off. Do you think that CONCACAF should consider moving the schedule back, not to the way it used to be, or not not even to a... To line up with the MLS calendar, where the quarter fi- or where the group stage would be happening now, and then the quarterfinals in the fall—not even like that. Just bump it back four weeks, so the quarterfinals are happening in late March, early April, rather than now. Well, the, the problem you run into if you move it too much further back is that um, Mexico's playoffs um, aren't too far away because they played split season. So um, even though they're only a few weeks into their season, you know it's, it's only a 17-game schedule and they play pretty quickly. Um, so if you move it too far back, you'll have the semifinal and possibly the final round taking place during that. And you know the Mexican clubs are still uh, a bigger voice um, in the halls of CONCACAF than the MLS clubs are. So that would be a problem, but MLS has to try and and do something, I think. They have to at least make an argument that um, it's not really ideal for their teams to be coming out of preseason and having to play possibly their most difficult game of the entire season straight away. Um, Because we've seen in the group stage that, uh, maybe not in this past Champions League, but in in the past few, um, there's a decent chance of MLS teams actually being able to play up, up near that level, it, 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 the gap isn't as big as it would seem based in these uh, on these knockout games. Um, but the fact is that we're catching teams in the middle of their season, whereas we're not, um, and that's that's going to keep happening until something gets moved. But um, it's a little tricky to get it moved. Um, it would need we would need some sort of cooperation from the clubs in Mexico, I would imagine. Um, I think I, I think Don Garber just needs to go. Pay all the Caribbean clubs or Central American clubs just the the where the numbers are in CONCACAF because it's one country one vote. I think so we, let's let's just buy the votes. Do it do it real old school. Don't we call that pulling a Jack Warner? Pretty or, much or a, a yeah or a Sepp Blatter yeah, or, or Sepp. any any other but, name from FIFA you've probably heard of. But the other side of that is is that those Central American clubs are well aware that this is a great advantage for them. Um, <laughs> I guarantee you that no one at Alavalense would want to have played this game, you know, the end of next or the beginning of next month. Um, yeah, they're that's perfectly true. happy to play us, um, you know, in the, the last week of February. Um, so that's that's it's a difficult thing. I, I think in the interest of um, making the competition look a little better, um, Concacaf would look into getting MLS teams uh, at least a few games into their season. But you know, th- there's a you can make the argument in the UEFA Champions League, the teams in Eastern Europe and in Scandinavia, not that Scandinavian clubs ever get that far, but um, teams like uh, Shakhtar Donetsk, for example, every year they come in uh, off of their long winter break and then they have to play a Champions League knockout game. Um, so it's not like this is unprecedented. It's not ideal by any stretch of the imagination. And, um, you know, there are people in CONCACAF and in, and at FIFA that will tell us, you know, shut up and play through the uh, winter because that's a great idea, um, regardless of, you know, it's not. Yeah, the forecast for Wednesday <laughs> night, by the way, is uh, temperatures near freezing, above freezing, but near freezing, heavy rain, 100% chance of rain, and then around midnight, it's going to turn to snow. Yeah. Right. So this is, this is um, what you get when you play in and, early March. And we're one of the... We're in the upper half of MLS's um, weather table, I would say. We're, we're mid- middle, but maybe right on the, the upper uh, portion of that. Yeah, we're um, solid. We're not Montreal. <laughs> you know, Montreal, for example, I mean, that ge- that game could be hosted. Um, they're playing it at the Olympic Stadium, so they've got a roof. But if they try to play without the roof, the, the game would not happen. Um, just flat out, it would be unplayable 99% of the time. So um, that's not an option, obviously, but... It, I don't know. The Champions League, um, you guys know, I, I love the competition. I've been watching it since they changed over. Um, I was I was desperate to win this one because the, the, the prize is not just lording it over MLS uh, as, as we tend to do, 
but also a Club World Cup in Japan, which would have been an amazing trip. And now, you know, we're down to needing a miraculous comeback to even get to have the chance to play somebody else. Which we will talk about as soon as we hear this story from Donald, which is the real reason Donald is on the show tonight, because we have heard, we've not heard the story yet, none of us have, but we've been told that there is an epic cab ride in Panama that was a part of your trip. Yes, so... Uh, backstory for everybody out there. I uh, I traveled down on Wednesday to Costa Rica uh, with a few friends. Uh, was there for the match on Thursday night and left early Friday morning uh, to come back to the United States. Now, I had two options for a layover. It was either leave later in the afternoon and have a 13-and-a-half-hour layover in Houston uh, where I would have to spend the night in a hotel and leave at, like, 5 in the morning to come back, or go to Panama, a country that I also had never been before this past week, and spend nine and a half hours there during the day and then fly back uh, late, fly back Friday night. No-brainer. So uh, I flew into uh, Panama City, um, got in about 10 in the morning, and uh, checked my bag and decided, let's go explore the city. I had a bunch of uh, itinerary that I wanted to, uh, things I wanted to see. So I go to the taxi cab stand. They have two official taxi cab stands. And I go to the first one. This guy uh, is standing there, and he's standing behind the counter, and I ask how much to get to the Panama Canal. In Panama, you have to negotiate all these cab fares because if you're, if you're Panamanian, uh, the cab fare to the, to the locks would be about five bucks from the airport. It's about an hour away. For everyone who is not Panamanian, it's more like 35 to 40 bucks. So mm-hmm. the guy quoted me 40 bucks, and I was like, that's not what I'm trying to do. Um, I can get there cheaper from downtown, so let's go down to the old city. And so he quoted me a price, 30 bucks, and I said, that's about the range. Let's do it. He goes out to the cab, and it's a yellow checker cab like you would expect, um, and he starts reaching for his pocket as if to, uh, making the motion of, where are my keys? <laughs> so I'm thinking, he doesn't have his keys. So he goes in, by the way, this is all in Spanish. All of this is in Spanish. Um, he says, uh, my cab is broken, but let's take my let's take my personal car. No problem. In Brazil, I took a sketchy cab with some friends in a, in a in a small in a small uh, uh, Volkswagen Jetta or something with a sombrero in the back seat. It was all good. <laughs> Had a great story. So I'm thinking, okay, let's go. So the guy gets in, we take off. Now my first uh, instinct that something was wrong was that he was going about 90 miles per hour on this toll road that goes from the airport to the main drag of downtown. So he's basically tailgating all these cars. So we get to the first toll station. He jams right through it. And I'm thinking he has one of those easy passes. He just tailgated behind a car, and I thought it was all good. But he was going really fast. So something was like, why would you go that fast through <laughs> the toll booth station? They have a specific, like, you, it registers, it needs to be a certain speed. Whatever. Still in the back seat. Still whatever. We get to the second toll station, which is right on the edge of downtown. And this is where things get awesome. Or hairy, or scary, whatever you want to tell him. Call it. <laughs> we'll he go with awesome. Tail, he tries to tailgate a second car to go through the gate. The gate closes on him. So he stops short. He's like, cabron. Backs up. Sees another car going in, another, in the next lane. Darts into that lane behind that car. <laughs> gate closes. <laughs> he, does this two, he does this three times. Are, are there people in these toll booths, or are these like automated toll booths? Oh, no, no. There are people there. So this is... <laughs> So you're, you're, you're advancing the story. So the toll booth operator sees this car darting between lanes trying to go through gates that are closed, and he comes out of his tow booth. And as my driver is turning toward, towards the fourth lane, the, ta- the toll booth operator is standing there like, what are you doing? And so this is where, America, you need to be sitting down, because instead of rolling down his window and saying, hey, this is what I'm trying to do, or whatever, or yelling at him, or honking the horn, my man guns it, and hits the toll booth operator no. with his car. What? With his car. What? Oh, so, no. he, he hits this guy, pushes him back about 10 feet, as he's driving into another lane to try and go through. The guy's obviously beating on the windshield, while holding on with by, by the windshield wipers. <laughs> he stops, and he says, what are you doing? And... <laughs> And they're yelling back and forth. They're they're saying words that we probably shouldn't use on a podcast. But uh, and they're, all this is in Spanish. Still, I can understand some Sp- I can understand Spanish and I understand exactly what's going on. I'm in the back seat, eyes agape, like, 
what is happening. <laughs> he hits the guy again. He backs oh, out of the lane, God. turns around, hits the guy a third time. So then he pulls into he he rides he basically rides the windshield wiper in the hood to the gate where it's already closed. And they have like a metro card swipe thing that you can tap to go through one of these lanes. So the driver rolls down the window and the toll booth operator kind of swings around and puts his body between the car and the and the swipe machine. So they're yelling at each other and then all of a sudden the the, the uh my driver just starts punching the guy in the face. Tobu's operator returns, returns, punches <laughs> this guy in the face. As, as he should. I mean, he's just been assaulted by a car, or by a driver, with Five. a car and a fist. So then he backs up, and basically he tries to turn around. Now, by the way, this is a highway. Turns around into oncoming traffic and hits the Tobu's operator a fourth time. The Tobu's operator gets hit to the point where he grabs the windshield wiper, swings over, hits the ground once, and jumps into the driver's side window and starts belting the driver with two hands while this dude's driving into oncoming traffic. Was this trip so directed this takes... by... by I, 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 Michael Bay, yeah, Clint Eastwood? Yeah, I can't even it name them be. right now. It should Definitely. be. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell the, the, uh, the rights to the movie, uh, so if anyone out there wants to buy them, uh, the price probably starts at about a million. Uh, I'm pretty easy. Uh, I have to start it. <laughs> so, meanwhile, I'm still in the backseat, and uh, so this is about this is over a course of about five minutes, and the rest of the booth operators finally realize what's going on because they see this car driving into oncoming traffic with one of their booth operators hanging from it. So they surround the car, they're banging on the window trying to get the guy to stop. So somehow, while the booth operator is punching my driver, he yanks on the e-brake to stop the car and is trying to reach for the keys to turn off the ignition. So. They drag him out of the car, and then they go at it in front of the car while cars are just darting <laughs> around them, <laughs> fighting each other with people I'm, surrounding I'm guessing, them. I'm guessing this looks something like Neo versus the million Agent Smiths in the second Matrix movie. Yes. It was, it, well, it, was more like, it was more like a street fight where one dude is battling the, the neighborhood bully, and everybody in the neighborhood surrounding him like, yeah, kick his ass. <laughs> kick his ass. So, so – this squad car rolls up that's like a toll booth security guy. He hops out. He's wearing a suit, and he presents a uh, a badge, and he's like, hey, give me your license. Give me your license. Right now, give me your license. So the guy who out there, he basically looks darker than me. He's like Eddie Murphy complexion. And he's like, okay. Pulls out his license. It's a Panamanian license with a white girl on it. Hands it to the guy. <laughs> I'm still in the back seat. So at this point, I, I see the license, and I just have my hands in the air because the windows are tinted, and I'm just, like, basically holding my, wind- my hands up. So I get out of the car, and I'm, and I'm like, hey, I'm just trying to get to the old city. Can someone call me a cab, a real cab this time? <laughs> and the people are like, the police are coming. You need to stay here. Get back in your vehicle. I was like, this is in my vehicle. I'm just a tourist. They're like, get back in the car. It's safer in the car. No problem. Get back in the car. The driver comes back and he goes, "Hey man, so this is, now this is in English. This guy all of a sudden speaks perfect English. He goes, <laughs> "You're gonna have to take another taxi, but uh, you should give me my thirty bucks." And I was like, "Nah, <laughs> you didn't get me to where we were supposed to go." And he's like, "Well, how about twenty? I was like, "I don't think you understand. If you get, if I offer you money to take me somewhere, and you don't get me there. You don't get the money." So it's not a sliding scale. He's trying to he's trying to uh, bolt out. So finally, five squad cars show up. It's uh, the tourism police. <laughs> and they show up, and they're talking to the guy, and all of a sudden, one of the tow booth operators points at the car as if to say, there's someone else in the car. So at this point, when he points, I put my hands up again. <laughs> and so one of the cops knocks on the window, and I open the door like I'm a suspect, like, you know, hands up, open the door, show them that my hands are in front of me, and I turn to step out of the car. And uh, this guy, he's like, do you speak Spanish? And I say, I speak a little bit, but it's very, you know, it's not that good. And he goes, okay, so how about English? And I was like, oh, I speak plenty of English. And the guy's like, okay, in English, what happened? So I say, I'm a tourist from the United States. I'm going to the old city. I'm on vacation. I'm I'm on a layover. This guy was an official taxi cab that tried to take me, and then all this stuff happened. So the cops are sitting there like, okay, they're sorting everything out. And then the cop that speaks English is like, all right, we're going to take you in our squad car. I think they're taking me down to the station for questioning. And 
So I'm like, okay, what, it, it, I'm, under, I'm trying to ask him on arrest. He's like, no, 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 just step back to the car, uh, to our squad car. He puts me in the in the back seat. And so one guy, the driver, doesn't speak any English, and the passenger is the cop that's been speaking me in English. Sure. So they drive me, and they're like, okay, we're going to, you know, where are you trying to go? I said, I'm trying to go to the Old Town, which is a beautiful place, by the way. It's basically like their version of Bourbon Street. It's that type of architecture and, and type of place. So awesome. it's really cool. You all should check it out. Um, so while we're on the way, they stop behind a taxi cab stand, and I'm thinking they're going to let me out and take me to the cab. So the officer who speaks English hops out, and the officer who speaks Spanish is asking me where I'm trying to go. And so in Spanish, I go, I'm trying to just go to the Old City, go to the Panama Canal, and then go home because my flight is at 6 o'clock. He goes, oh. So he motions for the cop to come back in the car, and he goes, let's just take him to the Old City. <laughs> so they did. They took me to the old city for free. Um, I, gave, I gave them my version of what happened in the car, and they took me through downtown. They showed me all the cool sights. They showed me where I was supposed to go in old city. They told me where not to walk because it was very dangerous. They told me all the places to check out and like, what times I should go there. And so they pulled, finally pulled me up to in front of this, this nice little church, and uh, I'm like, do you guys need any more information from me? And the Papa speaks English goes, no, have a great time, enjoy Panama, and I hope this wasn't this doesn't detract from your experience. <laughs> Let's be out of the car. <laughs> and and so this is this took about an hour and a half, and I still was able to go to Old City, go to the Panama Canal, and see the see the locks, go to a mall to eat and get a Panama jersey as a souvenir because I had to document this, and get back to the airport and and blow three and a half hours at the airport waiting for my flight. So all in all, it was pretty. It was it was definitely a story. <laughs> that was um, that was more epic than I expected it to be. Yeah, that it's, that it's, surpassed my expectations. You couldn't even. I couldn't even like make that up. Like, <laughs> all I know this this dude is probably still talking to police. There, there's probably a, somebody listening to this is going to email this story or email this episode to to the writers of the Hangover, and that is going to end up in the Hangover Four. Only, oh, yeah. only you're oh, going to yeah. be. Bradley Cooper. It's just gonna be one person though. It's gonna be a one man show. <laughs> it sounded a lot like uh, like if you've ever played Grand Theft Auto, any of the like taxi cab missions. This sounds like how you actually play them, as because you just start crashing into everyone while trying to drop your person off. Except this guy wasn't yeah. very good at it, obviously. It was his first time. It was it was definitely his first time, and and when he pulled out the the part about it is when he pulled out the license with the white girl on it. I literally had my hands in like. I can't like <laughs> could not make that up. Like, come on, man. Where is he trying to go with flight lessons? <laughs> so yeah, that's my Panama story. Um, <laughs> I recommend it to everyone, but I, I highly recommend when you get to the airport, take a real cab. Don't do this <laughs> cab story like I know. Results may definitely vary. <laughs> one out of one Donald survived this trip. <laughs> right. Right. I'm not trying to make it two out of two. <laughs> yeah, at that point, one out of two Donalds survived this trip. No. <laughs> right. Uh, I guess we have to talk about soccer again now. Uh, <laughs> yes, let's please do. <laughs> the The question at the top of my, my sheet for this segment is, can DC United get it back in the second leg? They are down five goals to two uh, when they ho- essentially coming into this game down five goals to two, they face Alajuelense again. This time at RFK at 8 p.m. Wednesday night, March 4th. I would tell you what TV stations or what TV channels you can find it on, but number one, that information is elsewhere. Number two, if you're listening to this and in the DC area, you should be at RFK Stadium. I don't care what the weather is supposed to be like; you should be there. Uh, it, so it might be your only chance to watch the team for a while. Yeah, exactly. This might be the one and only game we get at home for a good long while. So let's make it count by doing the impossible. And a lot of people think that just the the hill is too much to climb against any team because Ben Olsen's teams have not been... They haven't been Seattle Sounders attack, attack, attack soccer. They've been more defensively focused and more stable and sturdy and seeing out results than they have blowing teams away. Um, so with that in mind, knowing that DC United need three goals at a minimum to get through this game, I went back and looked at the last time they scored three goals. And it was a lot more recently than a lot of people might think it was in October and it was actually on the road at Houston. 
and they scored in the fall, they scored three goals in two other road games. One at Chicago, which was a 3-3 three to three draw, and one at Kansas City, which was a 3 to nothing win, and it was awesome. And then they went and lost big at, at L.A. immediately afterwards. Uh, the last time United scored three goals at RFK, though, was in August against Colorado. And if I were really clever and had thought about it all, I would have found some combination or, or some connection between Colorado and, and Costa Rica and Alajuelense and, and said, therefore, it's obvious that DC United is going to score three goals, but, but I didn't. So we're just going to have to assume that that connection exists. No snow connection? I guess, yeah, there's the snow connection. There's the crazy precipitation connection with Costa Rica and Colorado and, and DC beat Colorado and therefore QED. Exactly. <laughs> ben, can DC United score three goals? That's the threshold question. Without that, nothing else on Wednesday matters. Can they score three goals? Yeah, sure, maybe. Will they? I don't think so. Like, if this game, like, like we've been talking about before, if this game was happening in May, maybe even mid-April, I'd be a lot more confident about their chances, but Ben Olsen teams so far have shown a little bit of a propensity to start slow, especially in March. So, given that, I don't think it's, I don't think it's going to happen. Of course, it's possible. Chris Rolfe and Fabiana Spindola and Nick DeLeon and Chris Pontius, sure, they can definitely score three goals. Chris Pontius could have another rain game against New York and score them all by himself. Yeah, but, cold, rainy games at RFK, man. Exactly. But I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, Jason, what do you think? Any chance DC United finds the net three times? I know they, they did score twice down in, uh, down at Alajuelense, but they, uh, that was a team, an Alajuelense team that was playing crazy attacking soccer, even up three goals. And so they, they gave up goals and then, you know, went and got them back. Can, can United return the favor? Uh, I I actually do think they can score. Uh, I looked it up while while Ben was was talking, and DC scored three goals at home four times, three or more goals four times last year, um, which is a pretty good um, percentage for for any team really. Um, that's not a you know two 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 goals in a game is a decent score in soccer. So getting the three that many times is, is maybe better than we might have expected, um, given that this team's reputation is much more of a um, suffocate you and, and win two nothing, but you know not exactly creating a ton of chances beyond those two chan- those two goals. Um, Oliver Valencia's defense was a mess. I thought um, United was. It's not like United was attacking um, with a lot of verve and a lot of numbers and and posing complicated questions for them. I, some of I mean our our first goal was was the simplest goal you could possibly have, and it was still. Um, you know, Pontius wins a, a punt from, or not a punt, but a, a long kick. free kick from, yeah. from Dijkstra. Yeah. Um, he flicks it on, and Espindola is in behind, and their goalkeeper misread the situation, uh, stayed on his line too long, and then compounded by coming for the ball later, which is just the worst thing you can do in that spot. Um, the goal, the goals weren't difficult to score, and, and it wasn't like we didn't have other scoring chances either. Yeah, United um, could have had a couple more. Right. Um, so... As far as, as the offensive end of things goes, I actually do think that there's a we're going to get enough chances at least to have come back. I, I think that United's going to, if we don't come back, it's going to be either because of the defending or because we wasted some good chances because Alavalense doesn't have, there's no one, the cavalry isn't coming defensively for them. Um, it's basically Johnny Acosta and a bunch of guys. Um and one of those guys is still going to be Porfirio Lopez, who is just going to continue to hand us whatever we ask him for. Um, he's almost like the new Roy Miller, um, <laughs> just on a different team. So as long as long as we do a little bit better job of making him defend, because when he had to defend Pontius uh, or Spindle one-on-one, he pretty much screwed up every time. Um, and his left back, uh, Lionel Peralta, isn't anything special. He's not really going to be able to, to cover for him. Um, I think as long as we can force that matchup and force the ball into that area of the field, we should be able to at least create the number of chances to have some sort of theoretical chance of coming back. So the other side of that equation is United have to, if they score three goals, they they 
still have to win by three. So if they allow Alajulense to score, then they need four. If they allow two, they need to score five. Um, six to three is not actually an option because then Alajulense will go through on road goals. So at the very least, United needs to win by three and, and not allow more than two goals. Also, um, I think a lot of heads would explode if that game finished 6-3 United. Yeah. Um, I feel like we would have a major problem in terms of like public safety. Yeah, at that point, United... Also, at that point, if United wins by four goals, they're through. So 7-3, right. final score. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Donald, after what you saw in Costa Rica, do you think there's any chance the defense and the midfield get their act together and that United can keep Alajuelense off the board enough to to make their goals, whatever goals United score, stand up. I certainly hope so. I'm not I'm not entirely certain that we'll get. I think we get the three goals. I'm not entirely certain that we keep them off the scoreboard at the same time. Uh, one thing that you're gonna we're gonna see is you know their speed is gonna be neutralized on Wednesday. They're gonna be um, um, there's rain. The tur- there's there's no turf. Uh, there's gonna be grass. Uh, it's yeah, the surface cold. is gonna be exactly the opposite of what it was yeah, down in Costa so, Rica. Uh, yeah, so it's going to be one of those things that if we can neutralize our speed, that was their major factor uh, on, on on Thursday. Now we have uh, – I, I don't know what's going on outside. but I think the, uh, tour- the Panamanian police are coming back to – It's the tourism to police. No, nah, we, were, we were cool. I, I, by the way, I was on this podcast from about 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I, I think the speed part is going to be neutralized. That's what led them to get the second goal. That's what led them to get the, the first penalty um, is that they were beating our defense consistently, uh, knowing how the, how the ball rolls on turf. On grass, is going to be much slower. Um, it's going to be wetter. It's going to be cold. They don't take to the cold very well. So I expect their, their offensive output to be a lot less. Um, I'm talking to um, – a couple of fans while we were down there, and they were basically saying, if we if we run at if we attack their defense, their defense eventually folds very you know and, and folds in a very uh, tr- traditional terrible way is what they what he said. Um, I guess it seems like every time they play a big opponent, and we saw that on Sunday against uh, when they played Saprisa, when they ran right at them, that's when their goals were created because they just all of a sudden were like, oh please. Don't let us stop you from scoring. Um, so you let, seem to I really mean, want to do that all over there. We, we definitely didn't do that in, in in Costa Rica. We we should definitely attempt that on Wednesday, especially when the fact is we're going to be better than them on the grass. They don't play on the grass a lot. They play a lot on turf down there, um, and the cold is is going to make it so that they can't run as fast. It, it's just pure physics. <laughs> Ben, any any lineup changes you think DC United need to make to to score the goals that they need? And now there's a helicopter hovering over my house. We're just getting all kinds of public safety happening on this podcast. No, America, we did not do it. I don't know why we're being <laughs> persecuted. We didn't do it. Um, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> Do you think Ben Olsen needs to make any lineup changes? Lineup changes, that's right. Um, I don't think it's to- I don't think it's really necessary. I think Pania showed what he uh, some of uh, some of what he brings to the table. He was uh, pretty decent in the air. He was bigger and stronger than uh, the Panamanian, uh, the Costa Rican defense rather, uh, and so that could still be an advantage, especially in the rain. Uh, come Wednesday night, I could see Jairo Arieta play though, in his place. I know it's a, a... You would think that would be... That him and Espindola would be too similar, but we thought the same thing about Espindola and Luis Silva initially, and that worked out well. So I could definitely see that happening. That's about the only, like, tactical change I could see. Obviously, Hamid will come in uh, for Andrew Dykstra. It looks like he's healthy. Um, I don't think uh, Miguel Aguilar will start he played rather well uh, as a substitute in in Costa Rica, but I don't see him starting at all. Uh, he'll remain a good option off the bench. So, yeah, the only thing I can see is Arieta, and I think it's about a 50-50 at this point. All right, so let's move past that game on Wednesday night. Okay. And, like to, oh, can I add not, one Let's thing? let Jason talk some more. Okay, it just, it's, it's a little thing. Um, the one change I would actually make would be in the midfield. I would like to see... Um, Michael Farfan start over um, Davy Arnaud. Um, not just it's not 
really because Arnaud didn't play well in Costa Rica, but because you have to change something um, to to get back into this game. Farfan's played in the middle. He's got some experience there. I know um, up in Philly there there were a lot of people that didn't really like how that went, but I think that was much more a consequence of the fact that the Union were a John Hackworth theme at the time. Um, a lot of those players looked worse than they were as a result of all of that nonsense. Um, I think you've got to add some sort of extra creative element somewhere in the midfield. You're not going to take out Chris Rolf. Um, Nick DeLeon was maybe the only midfielder who really can look back and say that he played all right. Um, so at a certain point, it's either change formation or add a more attack-minded player. And I think um, it's either Farfan or DeLeon moves into the middle and Aguilar comes in on the right. But either way, um, I'd like to see somebody alongside Perry Kitchen. because Not, not because I think Arno should be benched full-time, but because, you know, we need to. We need a miracle in this game. If we're being honest, three um, nothing, four one, whatever. Um, you've got to change something, and it's got to be from the start, um, rather than waiting for the game and hoping that you're still in it. You know, if halftime comes in at zero zero, you know, it's that much more difficult. Whereas uh, if you go for it early and you get the first goal, then all of a sudden you've got the mo- momentum as well as a, an easier, I guess, an easier circumstance. So far, fan is what I'm saying. All right, and now we're going to look past that yes. Wednesday night game to Saturday afternoon, 3 p.m., RFK Stadium. D.C. United will be hosting the Montreal Impact in MLS action unless they aren't because no CBA has been signed and the players are on strike and the season is in jeopardy. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Um, we can talk a little bit about the CBA, but, but let's pretend that that's not an issue and instead talk about Montreal. Uh, who somewhat surprisingly went down to Mexico and got a two-to-two road draw at Pachuca. You think that was only somewhat surprising? I, I you, do. You remember Montreal I, last year? <laughs> I enjoy understatement. It's okay, my, it's my way of, of of overstatement is by minimizing something. Yes, it was a huge surprise. It was unbelievable. How could that happen? And you look at Montreal's roster, and it's not particularly good or deep in any way, and they went down to Pachuca and got a result. How did this happen? Uh, I, I guess the first thing I would note is that um, Pachuca kind of uh, kind of underestimated Montreal. They left out um, Ariel Nahuelpan. They brought him in, and he immediately uh, was involved in uh, a goal and scored the other. Um, yeah. so Montreal did come up two goals to nothing yes. uh, on two Dilly Duca goals, which is wacky and wild in its own right because he's not a consistent player who ever does that um right actually during that game i think paul carr from espn said that it was the first time in duca's professional career that he had scored two goals in one game um so i think a big part of it was just pachuca did not think they didn't expect montreal to do anything other than to sit back and defend in numbers and that was it um I don't think that they were prepared for the fact that, I mean, Montreal, for all their flaws, they've still got um, Nacho Piatti, they've still got Duca, Justin Mack. Um, so they've got guys that can create on the dribble, which is big. Um, Dominic Oduro was a, a, up front for them, and I think Pachuca wasn't ready for that because last year Montreal didn't have anyone like that um, as a forward. They had Marco DeVaio and Jack McInerney, and those guys are much more poachers than um, someone with that kind of speed. So I don't think I don't think they had a chance to scout Montreal um, looking like this, which would certainly help. But a lot of it was just you know Pachuca looked like a team that thought this was an e- they thought they had walked into a, a tremendous matchup and that that they could roll through without really breaking a sweat. And Montreal, to their credit, and you know to everyone's surprise, I, I think including them, I would imagine, um, given that we're talking about a Frankie Alla coach team, there's not usually a good idea tactically going on there. Uh, they looked ready. Um, they had to do a lot of emergency defending, um, but they're a little more athletic in the back this year, so that helped as well. Um, but yeah, it was it was uh, it was something to see. Uh, it's not you look through their roster and it's still like this is not that good of a team. Um, but they played. They were up for this one. Uh, the impact historically have always been as as an organization. They've got a culture of really getting excited about the Champions League, sort of like Toronto FC. Um, the Canadian teams love the Champions League. They just can't perform it at the rest of the times. Um, but uh, they were ready for it, and uh, 
they made their chances count. It's not like they created a ton of looks or anything, but they made them count um, through mostly through good good play on the dribble. Um, maybe a, they were a little more skillful than Pachuca was expecting. Um, and they, I mean, they, you've got to give it up to them. They capitalized on a team that wasn't expecting uh, a very good opponent, and that's that's kind of the deal when you play teams from Mexico. If they underestimate you, you've got to punish them for it. Donald, is there any way Montreal translates the one-off success in in Mexico into either advancing in the Champions League or doing well in MLS play this year? I, I think they have a really good shot. You know, I, I think it was uh, uh, back in the fall, they actually really lucked out into getting that first place nod because it was uh, our, our, our favorite team to hate, uh, Red Bull, that was in front but lost to... Uh, some random small team that uh, only goes by three initials. Um, they lost to them at Red Bull, um, mm-hmm. and that gave Montreal the the spot um, in the quarterfinals. But um, uh, they also had their preseason training in Mexico City to become acclimated to both the weather weather and the altitude. So I thought that was you know to go down there and get a draw is pretty pretty remarkable. They they uh, definitely I think they imploded in the second half. Um, when they were down, when they were up to, um, and letting Pachucha back into the game, but uh, I think they do have a shot in Olympic Stadium. It's going to be a wild crowd. Um, they actually, it's funny. They um, apparently they have a rule where if it snows in Montreal within 48 hours of an event, um, it it takes that long to clear the snow off of the roof. So they may have to postpone the game, even though it is indoors. Because right. <laughs> uh, it's scheduled to it's scheduled to snow tomorrow, I guess. Um, so that yeah. would be interesting. I, I I think that would probably be the first ever indoor soccer game to be postponed due to weather. But um, it, it, they definitely have a chance. They're going to be on the turf. They're going to uh, going to be in front of their home crowd. And and when you're at home with the uh, with the hammer of two away goals and it's tied, anything can happen. I, I think they have a good shot. Ben, I'll add. Oh, go ahead. No, Jason, you you go. Oh, I was just going to add that the reason that roof, um, basically the the roof at the Olympic Stadium is not safe um, for for <laughs> anything. Um, it's like it's, glass it's, or something. Right. It, it's um it's not too far removed from uh, what was it the uh, the Viking Stadium a few years ago that had the, yes. uh, the snow collapse. Yeah, it's not too far removed from that. Um, and it's not going to get fixed because it's an old empty stadium that no one uses. So uh, if that sounds familiar to you, um, you know. It Imagine an RFK right. with a bottle roof on it. And right, they, a, a 50-year-old roof that has long since stopped being maintained. And those those roofs, they're in those old domes. They're they're not what you think of now as a roof. They are held up by air pressure inside the stadium, uh, which is why those stadiums don't have doors that swing out. Because if they right. did, they would blow open and all the air would run out. <laughs> uh, they're basically giant balloons that you play sports in. And so when too much snow gets in there, when you play golf in the winter in the bubble. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Ben, can, can Montreal, do they pose a danger to DC United at RFK? Do you think, or are they pouring everything they have into champions league? I mean, I would assume they're definitely pouring everything they have into champions league right now. So, uh, so that is their main focus, and they're going to go all out for that. So at least United will get the benefit of that. Uh, but, I mean, United is still going to start all of their starters in their Champions League game, which is a day later. Uh, and so I don't think it's going to be too much of an advantage either way. Uh, at least United doesn't have to travel anywhere uh, for either of these games. But it's the beginning of the season. Everybody still has uh, hope and optimism about the MLS season, unless of course it is postponed and a strike happens. Um, but yeah, wacky things could ha- can happen at the beginning of seasons and a team could get on a roll that carries them, that carries them through Montreal a couple of years ago went on some amazing runs and had a, had a, uh, they were leading the supporter shield race until they kind of collapsed late. So Anything can happen, so I, I definitely don't think United can think of this game as any easier than than anything else. I remember two years ago, or 2012, um, we started out at home against Kansas City and lost in the 94th minute, and mm-hmm. then we didn't lose at home the rest of the season. That propelled us all the way to the number one seed in the play, or to the playoffs in, in the uh, Eastern Conference Finals. So uh, mm-hmm. 
the opening season is always quirky because you like to take that result and really hammer into it and really analyze what's going on, but it's really the start for everyone, so everyone's kind of in the same position. Yeah, last year United won zero games of their first three and ended up first in the Eastern Conference. So, yeah, exactly. there's a lot changes throughout this this season. New England, even in the middle of the season, New England lost seven games in the middle of last season and still end up coming back, finishing second in the East and then going all the way to MLS Cup in the final. So it obviously things happen. But we have to put too much meaning into things, Donald. We are sports writers and podcasters. That is what we do. Yeah, it is what we do. It, it's it's a it's a job that we we signed up to do. So, <laughs> uh, of course, we might not have anything into which to put meaning on Saturday if the players go on strike because the they and the league cannot agree to a collective bargaining agreement. So let's talk about that a little bit. Um, some word today from from Steve Goff and our own uh, Stephen Streff at Black and Red United who reported that that Bobby Boswell, who is a player rep for DC United, said that they're moving along. Um they're they they what Goff said they spent eleven hours in a conference room yesterday or today and and they're gonna do it again tomorrow and if they're not done then they're gonna do it again Wednesday. If they're not done on Wednesday, then Thursday I guess Thursday morning probably the players officially go on strike when the Chicago players refuse to get on the airplane to go to LA for the Friday night game on Univision. So we are basically hours, and a number of hours that we can count, 48 hours away from a strike, essentially. That's not a good place to be, but it was always going to come down to the wire. Ben, will the season kick off on Friday? Yes, I think it will. I think that somehow they get a deal done. It's not going to be a great deal for the players. But I think that the, with the limited time left, I think that the owners are in a strong enough position that they're, I mean, they're going to give the players something, obviously. Uh, but I think that. Well, at this point, that's not obvious because the, the players have basically said, we've been conceding on points and conceding on points and doing what we can. The, the owners are saying things in a way that makes it seem like they want to come to a result, but they don't seem to be budging. At least we haven't seen any reports that they've moved on the basic number one request of the players, which is some form, however bastardized, of free agency. Right. I mean, yeah, it, it, may, it may be... Uh, who knows what the owners will give? I mean, they'll, they'll give something. I, I, I don't know if they'll give anything on free agency, but they may invent a new mechanism that maybe makes it slightly more easy for players to move around. But I don't think the players have enough leverage right now to make it worth going on strike. I mean, the strike is the leverage, but I just don't think it's going to work out that way for them. Ben, what do you think? Or Donald, what do you think? I said Ben because he's taking up most of my screen right now. I mean, I I think that all of my points were great and well-reasoned, so... (laughs) You would say that. (laughs) Donald, what do you think? Uh, Will the season start on time? No, I don't think it does. Uh, I hate saying that because there's nothing I'd love more than to be out at RFK on Saturday morning in Lot 8 uh, drinking and, and have a good time with you guys before the game. But uh, I don't think the season starts on time. I think I think the players are in a pretty delicate state. They obviously want free agency. They know that now is the time with this new TV deal, with as much money as ever coming in the form of expansion fees, with all these players being played, paid millions of dollars. Um, it's clear that the money is there. And I think their leverage is never going to be higher than it is right now. And I think they recognize that. However, for the majority of players who are making what you, you know, we all made on our first jobs out of college, uh, that type of money, how long can they stand going without, you know, paying for paying rent and, and, and all these real life things that they have to do with their, you know, with with the money that they don't have, so I I, I think that's their delicate state. Their their leverage is never gonna be never gonna be bigger. Their desire is never gonna be bigger. But at the same time, I don't think a lot of these players can withstand a long strike. I do think they go. I think I think they walk out. I think there's a work stoppage. I don't know how long it lasts. I if if there is some sort of free agency, it's gonna take a while to redo all the charters and all the paperwork that's necessary to kind of refile and reorganize MLS 
in two different countries. Um, so that's going to take a while. Um, but if the players walk out, I don't think they walk out for two days and say, oh, we were just, co- we were just kidding. We'll play now. Um, I think it's going to be a situation where if they walk out, they're going to be in it for as long as they possibly can, and they probably have some drop-dead date that we don't know about that they can withstand until they run out of funds. Um, so I, I think I think there is I, I think Saturday, um, I think Thursday, really Thursday morning. I don't think Chicago's players get on the plane. I think that will be the start of it. Well, I, I think that there is an option in between out-and-out free agency dissolving the single entity that you referenced, Donald, by having to redo the league charters um, and and the status quo. And it was a UCLA law professor who wrote about it for American Soccer Now. His name is Stephen Bank. And the University of California system has a mechanism uh, where the whole university system, UCLA, Cal, uh, all the UCs are one entity. They are the University of California. And the different campuses, they do compete each, with each other for talent and the the academics, the researchers, professors that they get. But once someone is in the system, a UCLA professor, if Berkeley wants to get him, they can offer him at, I guess, periodic times, uh, they can offer him a better contract, but they can only bump him up one pay grade. And then UCLA can match or not match that. And that's it. That's it. That's as much bidding as there's allowed to be. And I, I think, think MLS. I think the Cal State system has a similar setup on that side as well. They have yeah, the UC system I, and the Cal State system. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. So and, if MLS did a, something where when a player in the league with however many years of service or however many appearances is out of contract, then any team in the league is free to sign him at no more than 115% of his current salary. And anybody can sign him for less than that. And that you have cost control. You don't have the spirals. You maintain that this is a one-league system. This is a single-entity system. And players get the ability to move wherever they want. They can accept less money to go somewhere else. They're not obligated to go through a draft and hope no one takes them and then move where they want to go. They, I, I think that that is a system that could work, and I hope something like that comes out of this. And, and there is um, that system also has a uh, component that's similar to foreign clubs trying to offer more, um, mm-hmm. where uh, basically at that point the two or three or however many California state universities um, they they lock in basically to ma- they compete as a group against you know you know, whatever school it is, whether it's uh, MIT or what have you. Um, and so the professor can say, I'm going to leave California entirely and go to uh, Harvard instead, or I'm going to stay in, in California and then I might choose, um, you know, UC Irvine instead of UCLA. Um, but at that point, the, the California schools sort of um, compete as one against the non-California schools, which I think MLS would uh, – it would – would kind of fit perfectly with what MLS would like to do where they'd be able to compete as one against, you know, Rosenborg in Norway or, or Anderlecht or whatever. Um, that would make a lot of sense. Uh, but I feel like if, if the owners, if the owners read that, uh, and I'm sure somebody did, um, and they didn't move on it, it probably indicates that they just aren't interested in budging very much at all. Yeah. And I think it would have to be set up in a way for the owners to, to buy into it, to have to be set up in such a way that that system only applies to MLS veterans, not to right. players who are currently playing abroad. So it, it would only apply to teams or to players whose contract in MLS just expired. Right. Um, and if, I think, I, I think it's going to be, uh, you know, we, we've talked, a lot of people talk about like the NFL or, or, you know, where they have a restricted free agency or, you know, Major League Baseball where they have, arbitration up to a certain level of service and then mm-hmm. they're able to test restricted free agency and then unrestricted free agency. Um, I think that's, I think a lot of people would be fine with that and mm-hmm. I, you, you would have to limit it to MLS years of service. So for instance, Jermaine Jones coming in last year, once his contract's up, technically he wouldn't be a free agent. He would be, you know, still tied to, uh, the revolution or, you know, DPs probably, MLS would probably write something different for them. But, uh, you, you want it where it's, you know, X, you know, X player comes in at age 18, 
at age 26, if he wants to sign a contract with somebody, that he should be able to do it. Um, and I yeah. think that's what people are, are looking for. Yeah, that's a, that's the ideal. And even then, that player is probably going to have to go abroad. If he's good enough to be a free agent in MLS, he's probably going to make more money abroad, which is where the mechanism Jason mentioned comes in. Mm-hmm. And then you have, yeah, I think it, it it addresses everyone's stated interests. Whether it addresses everyone's unstated interests, I, I can't say because they haven't stated those. <laughs> uh, that's why they're unstated interests. Ben, anything to add before we, we call it a night? I just really want there to be soccer this weekend. Come yeah, on. that most of all, that's what we want. We want soccer. Yeah. Just give it to me. And... No one's gonna. No, we're not gonna follow no. that. <laughs> thank you. That's my, all. That does it. Yeah, thank you all for listening. <laughs> Find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu at blackandredu for the website. Send your hate mail to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on SoundCloud. Tell a friend about us at the tailgate Wednesday and Saturday because damn it, it's gonna happen. There's gonna be soccer. I feel it. I feel it. I'm probably wrong, but I feel it. (laughs) For Jason and Ben and Donald, thank you all for listening. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason.